Thank you very much. Am I on? There we go. Now I don't have to talk so loud. We appreciate your presence very much. We have some that are visiting. My sister and uh, my brother-in-law, who I love very much, are visiting with us. I used to say all the way from California. It's now all the way from San Antonio. They back, moved back to Texas. We're thankful for that. Um, and there's other visitors. And if you're visiting, we appreciate you being here. And uh, welcome you back at any point And hope you'll feel at, at home with us this morning. Have you ever been lost have you ever been in the woods and didn't know which way was north or south or east or west? Didn't know where you left your how where your house was or maybe where you left your car? You know, maybe you went to a stock show and when you got there that morning there was a hundred cars in the parking lot and when you came out George Strait was in concert and there's five thousand cars and you don't have any idea where yours is. You got a three month old son and it's pouring down rain. I mean, you know, Things happen. Have you ever been lost? When, we, uh, when you think about the series, Brother Michael introduced the series last week and he started with I Am. We're going to continue the series this morning. But we're going to talk about this concept of lost a little bit. And so in Luke chapter 15, there's three stories there. There's a story of the lost coin, there's a story of the lost sheep, and there's a story of the, what we call the prodigal son or the lost son. Most, a lot of people are often that chapter is called the chapter of lost and found. Because it talks about a coin that was lost. And the coin's an inanimate, inanimate object. It doesn't know it's lost, but it was lost. And they were looking for it. And when the owner found it, they rejoiced. It talks about a sheep that was lost. It had separated from the flock, the ninety and nine. It says the shepherd will leave the ninety and nine, and it will go try to find the one that is lost. And when it finds that one sheep, it... It rejoices. He rejoices. That sheep was lost, but didn't know how to find its way back. The coin was lost, didn't know it was lost. And then we have the story of the prodigal son who was lost. He went to his father and said, give me all my money that's due me and my inheritance. And he went away and he wasted that money. And he was lost, but guess what? He knew how to get home. And the story goes, this is my son who was lost and is now found. They kill the fatted calf. They have a great feast. They rejoice that that son had returned. He was lost, but he knew the way back. As we open the story this morning, Jesus is, uh, we're going to talk about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the setting of this phrase that Jesus utters, they're in the upper room. And so Jesus, who has been, he's probably about 33 years old at this point, give or take, the best we know. Let's just say that's the number. He's been in his ministry. It's been about three years since the Sermon on the Mount. So he's been leading his disciples and gathering people around him and teaching and talking and trying to change minds and lives for about three years. They're in the upper room. There's a picture on the screen of where they think that upper room was. Obviously, it's been modernized a little bit. I see some LED lights in there and some other stuff. So that's not what it looked like 2,000 years ago. But it's a room like that. It's, a, it's an upper room. He has eaten the Passover supper with his disciples. He has washed their feet. He has talked to Peter about this concept of you're going to 
I won't say betray, but you're going to forsake me at least. And he has dismissed Judas Iscariot and told him to go do what he must. And with that, he says, don't be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. I would, I would not tell you this if it were not true. I am going there to prepare a place for you. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Then I will take you with me so that you can be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't, we don't know. So how could we know the way? They were lost. They didn't know. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. So as we open this sermon, or this, this sermon here, Jesus, this is the seventh I am. We're talking the I am series. This is the seventh one in the, in the, uh, in the book of John. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. So there's this little three-letter word, the. the. The dictionary says it's used as a function word to indicate that the following noun or noun equivalent is definite, unique, or exclusive. So this little three-letter word is important it's vitally important to this phrase when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So let me give you maybe a couple of examples. If I said, Kent, go log on to the, the computer. Well, there's four of them here, counting the one in my bag. Kent's probably, your next question is going to be, which one? You don't mean all four of them, you mean the computer. Which one of the four computers do you mean? Go log on to the computer in my backpack. That is a specific computer. If I say, Kent, go sit in the chair. There's a hundred of them in here. Which one do you mean, Nancy? Go sit in that chair, the chair. You sit in that chair, right? So when the word the is used, it doesn't mean all or uh or whichever one you want. It's a unique and specific descriptor of what is to follow. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the unique and only way, I am the unique and only truth, I am the, u the unique and only life, that's important that we recognize that. So let's talk about the way. What is the way? What's the definition of way? Well, most people would say it's a space between two objects, a road, a route, or a course. We've got a picture of a mountain path here. There's the path. This is the way from here to here. So it says it's a, it's a space between two objects. If I tell you, hey, uh, can't go over to my house. I'm going to use you all day, Kent, because you're right here in front of me. <laughs> if I tell you to go to my house, or do you know the way to my house? Right? There's a lot of ways to get to my house, but if I say the way, here's the way I want you to go to my house. 
go down Carroll, hit on 35, go down Post Oak Trail, go down, yeah. Okay, there's the way. That's the only way to get there if I tell you the way. That's the way I want you to go. So what are these two objects? When I tell you to go to, there's, there's my house and there's where you're at. So what are the two objects in this story when Jesus said, when, when Thomas says, hey, we don't, we don't know the way. Jesus, we don't understand. What, what do you mean? And he says, I am the way. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking to his disciples, right? So he's talking to the men in the upper room. He's talking really to disciples in general. He's talking to all of us too. When he says, I am the way. So it's from where they were, as where we are as sinful people, to what did the rest of the verse say? No one comes unto the Father except by me. He's saying, I am the way from where you are today to my Father, which is in heaven. From this sinful, wretched life that we live to this holy and beautiful place called heaven. I am the way. I'm the pathway. I'm the bridge. I'm the only way to get there. You know, we've got GPSs in our cars now. So it's really hard to get lost. But as people, we want to understand direction. We, we just, it's a natural inclination for us to want to know where we're going. How many of you would get in your car going on vacation and not know when you got to the end of the driveway if you were going to go left or right? Just, we're just going to let go. Now there are, I say most people, on the slide because there are some people that love an adventure they usually end up in trouble at the end of it but there are some people that love an adventure and they love to just go out and just wherever we go grab a backpack and go across Europe they usually end up in a prison somewhere no not usually I don't know but that doesn't seem like what most of us are inclined to do most of us want to know where we're going on vacation. We want to know how we're going to get there. We're going to take a car to the airport. We're going to get on a plane. We're going to fly to here. We're going to, we're going to do this. Especially if you travel with me. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to know how to get there. Because I'm a detailed guy. And so it's really hard for us to get lost. We desire the, the same thing, though, when it comes to our spiritual life. Or we should. We should want to know how we're going to get there. And Jesus says, I am the way. Now, a lot of people will tell you there's many paths to get to heaven. They might tell you that Buddhism would get you there. That Buddhism, Buddhism would uh, get you to heaven. Some people might say Islam, that Allah will get you there. Or Judaism, or Hinduism, or some other man on this earth that you have to go through to get there. They'll say there's many paths to get to heaven. But um, Jesus, not Yancey, Jesus is saying in this passage right here, that is not the truth. He is saying, I am the single article, T-H-E, unique, distinctive, only way to get to my Father. There's no other way to get there. <clears throat> I am the way to get from here to heaven. So he goes on to say, I am the truth. 
We're going to have an entire series, July the 21st through the 23rd, 2003, in Denton, Texas. The Brotherhood meeting, area-wide meeting, will be here, and we're going to explore truth. We're going to talk about it just a little bit this morning, because it's in my sermon, and we have to talk about it a little bit, but this will be explored um, for a full day, um, about a year from now. So come and be a part of that. Make plans to be there. Pilate asks this very question. He's a, in uh, John chapter 18 and verse number 37 through the first part of verse number 38. Pilate and Jesus are carrying on a conversation. He's on trial in front of Pilate. And Pilate said, you are a king. Jesus answered, you are right to say that I am a king. I was born for this, to tell people about the truth. This is why I came to the world, and everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me. Pilate said, what is truth? Jesus said, I I, I came here for that. This is verses later. He's already told his disciples, I am the truth, the unique only truth. Now he's telling Pilate, and Pilate says, what is truth? Similar to Thomas going, what's the way? How do we get there? So a definition of truth might be conformity to fact or reality, an exact accordance with what, with that which is or has been or shall be. Before we look into the, before we look into the, the definition that the, the Bible might tell us, I want to talk to you a little bit about your brain, about our brain, and how truth varies in our brain differently from how it might vary in God's brain. If he has a brain, he is brain, he is everything. How God thinks about truth versus the way we think about truth. So first of all, We have this concept here on earth about fact versus opinion. And so um, I didn't get to watch the rest of the football game last night, but I assumed that there was a final score. The Cowboys lost or they won or they beat the L.A. Chargers, and there's a final score. That final score is fact. It's not going to change. It's going to be put in the record books, and it's a fact. It's a factoid. It's going to be. Now, we might start talking about a football player, And I might say, I think he had a really good night. He did this, he did that, you know, did that. And you might say, well, yeah, but I saw this, this, and this. And your opinion might be that he had a mediocre game or a bad game. And my opinion might be that he had a good game. Two differences of opinion about the same person's performance. What causes that? What causes us to have that difference of opinion? Because that's important when we think about the brain. So first of all, the brain puts facts, the score from last night's game, into a file cabinet in our brain, connects it all with synapses, but let's just assume it looks like a file cabinet, a file drawer, in a file folder, that's where it puts the fact. All right? So that's how facts get in our brain. But opinions are stored in our brain as well. So opinions are validated when someone tells them by the RAS. That's called a reticular activating system. I don't want to get too complicated, but we've talked about this before, I think, actually from the pulpit. If I like Ford trucks, I'm going to start noticing Ford trucks on the, 
on the highway, and I'm gonna, it's going to validate how that my like for Ford trucks is the correct opinion to have. You know, all my friends that are really good friends, they'll drive Ford trucks like Mario. You know, all of the good folks that they drive Ford trucks, right? And that's the way my reticular activating system goes about validating that opinion. It's also called confirmation bias, right? Because it's validating opinion based on what I want the answer to be. If I want a new refrigerator, we've talked about this specific example before, all of a sudden the ice maker's not working, the filter's nasty, it's not keeping the food cold, the shelves are dirty, I just need a new refrigerator. When all of that could probably be fixed for one-tenth the price of a new refrigerator, but I don't care because it validates my opinion that I want a new refrigerator. Now, here's the problem with those opinions that we validated through that confirmation bias. Our brain confirms them as facts and puts them in the same drawer with the facts. When you and I get in a discussion, we pull both of those out with equal weight if we're not very careful. Our facts and opinions that have been maybe improperly validated through our confirmation bias. And we'll throw all that on the table as fact and we'll get mad at you if you vary from our facts which are half fact and half opinion. That's confirmation bias. And that's the why you and I get into deep arguments over stuff that is based on opinion. We can come to a knockdown drag out over whether some football player had a good game on a Sunday based on our opinions. Not, our, not the facts, based on our opinions and how our reticular activating system has gone about validating them because that's what we wanted to be true. And we take the other opinions that we don't like or that our reticular activating system validated as invalid and we put them in our brain as lies or untruths. And so we walk around with a brain full of stuff that if we let our subconscious rule we're just on autopilot. Those facts and those opinions come out with the same weight. What we've got to do is step in with a conscious brain and go, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Here's the fact. That was just my opinion. And that's very hard to pull back. That's very hard to flip that switch. But that's what as self-aware Christians we've got to do. We've got to make sure we understand what is fact and what is opinion. Now let's go look at the Bible and let's see what it tells us truth is. Because that's what we've got to put in our brain in a separate file cabinet, separate from everything else as the truth. Everything else can change. You remember the definition it said uh, it had the word reality in it. Confirmed by facts or whatever it said, reality. Reality can change. What I think is, what I realize is the world today can change from what I can tell you it has over my 60 year life. There's stuff that I thought 30 years ago was fact that I would tell you today isn't. There's a different fact that I have in my brain about that. So those things in our brains can change. <clears throat> the Bible says in John chapter 17 in the same book written by the same author sanctify them in the truth your word is truth so it says here that God's word is truth okay 
In 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 56, it says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he had promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. So it says here in in 1 Kings that everything God promised Abraham, everything he promised, he's delivered. He didn't lie. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number, number eight, or verse 18 says, These two things cannot change. God cannot lie when he says something, and he cannot lie when he makes an oath. So these two things are a great help to us who have come to God for safety. They encourage us to hold on to the hope that is ours. So God can't lie to you. Everything he tells you is the truth. Everything written in His Word is the truth. Titus 1 and 2 says, This faith and knowledge make us sure that we have eternal life. God promised that life to us before time began, and God does not lie. Well, why doesn't God lie? Well, number one, He's omniscient. He knows everything. So when we base our truth on something that was different 20 years ago than it is now, that God knows everything. So he can't make that mistake. His truth doesn't change. I'm still not going to say what happened on the witness stand. We'll find that out next July. But that's close to what I told the lawyer. He cannot lie. His word is truth. John 1 and 1 tells us that the tells us that the, that the Word was in the beginning. It tells us that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then in verse number 14, we've all heard this, it tells us that the Word was made flesh and it came and it dwelt among us. The Word, Jesus Christ, was made flesh and it came and it dwelt upon us. His Word is truth. Jesus is truth. Everything he has told us, everything he has done for us as he has led us is truth. Jesus is truth on this earth personified. He is the truth of God made into a person that came and lived on this earth with us. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I believe this will conflict a little bit with one of the other I am's. I am the resurrection and the life, which we will be talking about um, a little bit later. But I just want you to understand that life, it's the, def- the definition of that is the state of one who is possessed of vitality. Vitality is usually your body and your soul together, meaning that you're vital and alive. Satan, which the soul and the body are united. Well, our our soul and our body are going to go through a couple of things. Today, our soul and our body are united. At some point, our soul and our body are going to separate. That's called death. Our body's going to go into the grave, and our soul's going to go back to Jesus, live in paradise until the judgment. And then at the resurrection, our bodies are going to be changed, and our soul's going to be reunited with our body and we're going to live forever. So this life, there's two sides of it, and it's separated by this thing called death. 
So when Jesus says, I am the life, what is he talking about? Is he talking about, I, I'm, the, I'm the natural life, I'm the life that you've got now? Or is he talking about, I'm the life, I'm this opportunity, this hope for eternal life in the future? <clears throat> Let my PowerPoint catch up with me. In John chapter 10 and verse number 10, the thief cometh not to not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Which, which life? Which, what's he talking about? In John chapter 1, verse number 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. I will tell you that I believe he's of those. In summary, God created mankind and breathed into him the breath of life. He brought us into existence and he breathed into us the breath of life. He's the giver of our natural life, he's the giver of our spiritual life, and he's the giver of our eternal life. I am the life. Jesus is our only hope of that eternal life because he is the way and he is the truth. So in um, conclusion or in summary this morning, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except by me. He starts out this verse, though, by saying these words, let not your heart be troubled. So again, understand the context of what's happened. We talked about this. He's in the upper room. He's about to be led away. Judas has gone to betray him and will meet up with him in the Garden of Gethsemane with the group of soldiers that have come to arrest him and to put him on the cross. That's where we're at in Jesus' life, and he knows what's coming. And he starts off this verse to these disciples and to these men, and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. And we're, we're about to go through some things, men. Let not your heart be troubled. And that's important because I think these verses to us should give us these things. It should provide us comfort. It should provide us proof, assurance, focus, steadfastness. All of that we should be able to get out of these verses. Because it tells us that our hope is not misplaced. It tells us that Jesus is for us everything that we need. It tells us that our destination is the right one, the way. The way we're going is the right way. The path, the direction, everything is the correct way. And that the outcome of the journey will be beyond, be beyond our creative imaginations. Heaven, no one cometh unto the Father except by Jesus Christ. And when we get there, it'll be a glorious and a spectacular day. We can only imagine. So Jesus says, I am. I am God. I am the way. I am. Everything that he says there wrapped up in this awesome destination for us, which is heaven. So in conclusion this morning, we appreciate your presence. I appreciate your attention. If you haven't become a Christian, if you haven't told Jesus, I believe that you're the way to get there. 
and I want to come and take your hand and follow you all the way to heaven. I want to follow the path that you've laid out for us. If you haven't done that, we give you that opportunity this morning. If you've started down that road and you've kind of veered off on a different path, you've taken your own path, you've taken the path that uh, some other people led you down, whatever the reason, you've gotten off that path and you want to get back on the path that Jesus is talking about that leads to the Father, then we'd be glad to pray with you. If we can help anyone in either way, if you need anything from the church, come as we stand and sing.